the inaugural issue of the New Thinking Aloud magazine was just released on March 1st. You can download a free PDF copy from the New Thinking Aloud Foundation website. Thinking Aloud Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. And I'm another version of Jeffrey Mishlove. In a funny way, you might say that Jeffrey Mishlove, both of us, are each another version of yourself. Today, I want to talk about thinking and intuition. And as a starting point, let's talk about Carl Gustav Jung's Four Psychological Functions. This is the basis of much of modern psychology. It's the basis, for example, of the Myers-Briggs personality tests, which is one of the most widely used tests. And those four functions are thinking, feeling, intuition, and sensation. And I have often, as the past president of the Intuition Network, talked about how our culture is off balance. We emphasize thinking. If you're a good thinker, a problem solver, a mechanic, an engineer, a scientist, you've got a career waiting for you. Feeling is highly emphasized in our culture. If, if you're an artist, a, a singer, a pianist, if you can put your feelings out into the world so that other people recognize them in, in one way or another, particularly through music, our culture has a place for you. Sensation, as well, is highly emphasized in our culture. Uh, all sorts of experiences involve sensations from uh, hiking and camping and mountain climbing to uh, attending concerts or uh, going to museums. Our world is rich with sensation, but intuition seems to have less value in our culture. For example, if a young child has highly intuitive gifts, psychic gifts, which to me, psychic functioning, paranormal functioning is the real deep core of intuition, it's very often not encouraged. In many families, it is encouraged. I've done interviews, for example, quite a few with Miranda Alcott, the uh, animal communicator who was a gifted intuitive, and her parents were members of the Society for Psychical Research. So, as a child, her gifts were encouraged, but that's not true for most people. Uh, many people find that their parents will discourage them from expressing their intuitions, their psychic feelings, their mystical uh, experiences. So, the idea that intuition is one of the four major functions of the human being that that is diminished in our culture, undervalued in our culture, suggests that our culture is significantly out of balance. 
However, there is another way to look at it entirely, and that is that actually, if you ask yourself, what does it mean to think? What does it really mean to feel? What does it mean to sense? Then, as you look deeply into these issues, it seems as if intuition is at the basis of all of them. It's not necessarily a separate function, although it certainly can be viewed as a separate function. But is it possible, for example, to think without using your intuition? One of the greatest philosophers in uh, Western history is Immanuel Kant, the 18th century German philosopher. And he basically uh, put it this way in his uh, critique of pure reason, and, and that is that any attempt to engage in pure reason, and he distinguished between pure reason and practical reason. Pure reason is about metaphysics. It's, it's about asking yourself, what is real? And whenever we do that, in fact, it happens in practical uh, thinking as well, but it's, we don't even notice it, so we're so deeply embedded in it, and it, there's good reasons for that. But Kant's point is simply this, space and time are a priori constructs created by our minds. It's not at all clear to Kant. And, and also to subsequent physicists, I'm going to show you this headline from a, a recent article that just appeared, how physicists themselves are questioning whether space and time are real, based on uh, the Nobel laureates uh, recently given out uh, in relationship to what is known as quantum entanglement. Quantum entanglement suggests that every piece of the universe from the Big Bang is connected, correlated, that the idea of distance is an illusion. I mean, we know this, for example, in Einstein's relativity, a, a photon can travel from one end of the universe to the other, and if it could wear a wristwatch, no time would have passed whatsoever, suggesting there is really no distance. So, you could say that our very notions of space and time are arrived at through some kind of an intuitive process. Well, what do we even mean by intuition? The um, basis of the word intuition is uh, interior knowing, something that just comes to you. I know that it's true. I don't know how I know, but I know. And, and basically, that's how we feel about space and time. As I recall, it was, uh, who was the saint? Uh, saint Augustine once said that uh, if you ask me about time, of course, I know what it is until I have to explain it to you. Then I can't explain it. That's our intuitive understanding of time. And of course, it's part of our organism. Now, that for some people, and uh, when we talk about intuition, it gets complicated because of such things as cultural and biological conditioning. And we are conditioned indeed by our organism, but we're also sometimes conditioned by our culture in terms of how we view the organism. And there's a lot of confusion that people have between a, a conditioned belief 
and one that comes through intuition. My dear friend, Marcia Emery, who was interviewed not long ago on the New Thinking Aloud channel by my co-host, Emmy Vatness, used to say that intuition is 100% accurate. If you're having an intuition, you can count on it being 100% true. of course, you can't test that theory because if you think you're having an intuition and it turns out not to be true, well, then in hindsight, you can say it wasn't really an intuition. But I don't know that there's any way to predict in advance that what you think will be an intuition is always true. That's simply not human. Still, it's a good way to think about intuition. It's certainly not the only way to think about it. But there is a sense in which it does appear that the human psyche has the ability to apprehend reality as it is, at least on occasion. And that is not a thinking process. It's not even a sensing process. It's not a feeling process. It's a knowing process process. And when we get to knowing, that's where thinking and intuition kind of blend together. Now, when we do experiments in telepathy or clairvoyance or remote viewing, there are occasions when remote viewers are a hundred percent accurate on targets that are very complex and detailed. So, that certainly suggests that intuition because you can't think your way through a description of a target to which you are blind in terms of having no sensory contact with it. That is a psychic functioning. And as I say, that's the core of intuition. And sometimes we know that we get in touch with intuition, with psychic functioning at that level. And I imagine that most people, if you haven't experienced it once in your life directly, you're aware at least of someone else who has. And if you're not, you can look in the literature of parapsychology. It comes up. It's very rare. I don't want to claim that it happens all the time, but I will claim it happens more often than you would expect by chance alone. And we know that because of highly controlled, rigorous laboratory studies. But the issue I'm really trying to address here is about thinking. What does it mean to think? There are certain forms of thinking, like problem solving or computation is a good example. A computer, even a mechanical calculator can do arithmetic. It's a mechanical process. That's not necessarily thinking. Thinking can involve creativity. It can involve coming up with solutions to problems at a practical level where, of course, you're not going to start questioning what is space and time real because for all practical purposes, that's how we live. That's the world that we as human organisms are embedded, whether or not philosophers and physicists think it's real. Of course, the fact that space and time may be very, very different from how we all presume it to be 99.999% of the time in our lives. Well, that tiny, tiny, tiny little 
bit that, that doesn't seem to accord with space and time as we normally experience it, or it may even be greater for those of you, for example, who follow your dreams. That's like finding a needle in a haystack. Or uh, when I think of uh, a group of scientists I've come to admire greatly, Pierre and Marie Curie. When I was a child, I uh, heard it said that they f took a ton of uranium ore or pitch blend, and from that ton, they found an ounce of pure radium. And of course, the discovery of radium and radioactivity opened up vast new dimensions in our understanding of reality and of science as a whole. But what I learned when I began digging into it more deeply is that the way I had come to understand the story was inaccurate. It wasn't a ton of pitch blend. It was several tons. And it wasn't an ounce of pure radium. It was a tenth of a gram of pure radium, much, much less than an ounce. So, the point I'm trying to make is that pure intuition, or as Kant describes it, pure reasoning, pure thought, it may be as rare as a, a tenth of a gram of radium found among several tons of pitch blend. The thing is, the Curies knew that it was there because the pitch blend itself, even though it's uranium ore, was more radioactive than if it had been made out of pure uranium. That's when they realized there's something else going on in, inside. And uh, it took them years of dedicated effort to come up with that tenth of a gram of pure radium. And it changed the world as we know it today. So, in a way, you could think of that as somehow being the relationship between pure intuition and thought, and yet that tenth of a gram of pure radium, metaphorically speaking, underlies all of our thinking, all of our feeling, all of our sensations. When you hear language, you hear me speaking to you, for example, and I'm talking without actually thinking through every word by word that I'm saying to you, and you, even though I'm speaking quickly without much in the way of pauses between my words, you know what I'm saying. How do you do that? That's also a function of intuition, just understanding language. Well, there are many, many definitions of intuition, and that's where things get really confused. From a conventional point of view, you could say that intuition is your uh, knowledge that you gain through experience. Like if you're an experienced surgeon, an experienced firefighter, an experienced policeman, you develop a sixth sense about things just from your experience. And there's certainly something to be said for that. People do learn by experience. At the same time, there is an element in our culture that really does downgrade intuition. There was a famous smart person, if I recall correctly, her name was something like Marilyn Vos Savant. She had a column that appeared in newspapers and uh, 
because she was supposedly the smartest person in the world. And uh, she was asked at one time about intuition, and she said, uh, we should learn to put aside our intuitions. And she did cite some research that showed that for example, uh, in psychological diagnostics, that the intuitions of clinicians aren't as accurate as the uh, results from personality tests. So it was said. Um, I think the same thing may be true in medical diagnostics, that the intuitions that professionals develop are often not as accurate as, as an empirical test. And that's where you get a, a kind of thinking that has to do with empirical science. You get data that comes in through your senses and you analyze it through processes of reasoning and there needn't be uh, an element of intuition there, supposedly. I disagree, obviously, with that vision of things. I think that it is true that intuition underlies everything. And I'd like to remind you that it wasn't so long ago I did an interview with James Carpenter, the author of the book First Sight. And it was his perspective that what we call psychic functioning that seems so paranormal is actually a very normal part of all human cognition. Every time we make a decision, every time we actually even have a thought, the very first inklings, the first beginnings of such a thought are based on psi. Now, this brings up many metaphysical issues. Ultimately, you have to ask yourself this question, and it is not one that can be answered logically. And that is, what is your purpose in life? Why are you here? I know there are going to be many answers that'll come to you from the culture. You're here to be a good family person, to support your family, to, to be a good citizen and to support your country, or uh, you're here to be a good worker and uh, contribute to the economy or your country. And those are all important. I don't want to discount them. But think of this. You're listening to this video right now, and I'm talking to you. And what brought you here? to this moment, and what brought me here to this moment is a sense of purpose. And it doesn't have to do with cultural indoctrination, because what, what I'm doing is not anything for which there are, uh, is anything that I'm aware of in the way of cultural models. This is a little bit unique, and I suppose you could say it's true of all uh, creative work. It's, it brings to the table something new. And that something new is very often related to why you're here, what your purpose is in life. That's only a question that can be answered through intuition. Purpose. And the funny thing is this, if you're a scientist, uh, purpose is often thought of as teleology, and it's pretty much excluded from material science. 
The idea that purpose should exist, for example, in the universe, that the universe might have a purpose and that you're part of that purpose, that's, that's considered teleological thought and it's a no-no. Don't go there because, well, you might end up thinking along theological lines and that's not scientific. Well, I'm deviating a little bit now from my original thesis regarding thinking and intuition and we're getting into the history of science, for example, and the disputes between science and, re- and religion. These are all important topics because every little conversation is embedded in this kind of history. But this is a short monologue or a short dialogue. I'm talking to myself and, and I'm talking to you, the viewer, at, at the same time. Uh, in a way, it's a never-ending conversation. If I were here 10,000 years from now, I would still be talking about it. Or as they say in the song, Amazing Grace, if we were here 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, there's no more days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. Well, I probably didn't get it right, but... That, that, that verse brings up uh, larger questions about intuition, and maybe this is a good point to stop and to leave you with uh, some thoughts. And the thought I'd like to leave you with is, in your life, where does thinking end and intuition begin? Or where does intuition end and thinking begin? I'll leave you with that thought. And once again, thank you for being with me. And thank you for being with me too.